You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Heritage Voices, episode 78. I'm Jessica Quinto, and I'm your host. And today we are talking about Browns Canyon National Monument. And today I am recording this episode on Nuchland with a group of Nuch people. So today we have uh, Mr. Terry Knight on the show, Mr. Mark Wing, and Ms. Sapphire Ortiz. So Mr. Terry Knight, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Terry Knight. I'm the... Um Tribal Historical Preservation Officer for Yukon Utah. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Mark Green. I'm the intern for the Browns Canyon Project for the people Ute tribes. More than that, you you also came out uh, as one of our culturally knowledgeable people prior to working with Living Heritage Research Council. So Mark Mark is all over this project. He's got all different sides. Hi, everyone. My name is Sapphire Ortiz. I am with the Southern New Indian Tribe as an AGPRA coordinator. All right. So very excited to do this episode because this is a project that I'm working on. Normally, episodes aren't about uh, our projects, so very excited. And this project is with uh, Browns Canyon National Monument. It's funded by the, the Bureau of Land Management uh, in cooperation with the uh, Forest Service. And also, it, a portion of it, it was funded by the Colorado State Historical Fund grant. So basically, this project is about doing ethnographic research, looking at Ute history and connections and use of resources like plants, animals, minerals, and connections to Browns Canyon National Monument, as well as to make recommendations to the BLM and the Forest Service about how that land should be used. And Browns Canyon National Monument, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful area between Salida and Buena Vista, as they say it, uh, Colorado. And it goes along the Arkansas River, which is, I believe, the most run stretch of river in the United States, that portion through Browns Canyon. So it's very popular, it's very beautiful. And then up in the, the mountains, so in the, the forest overlooking the, the collegiate peaks and um, overlooking some hot springs. And uh, it's just a gorgeous area for anyone that hasn't been out that way. Uh, but yeah, so this project, um, we've had a good number of, of uh, field trips at this point. We still have another one, so it's, it's not um, complete yet, but we'll be here soon. And as a final part, as I mentioned already, the Colorado State Historical Fund, they provided funding on top of the BLM funds to have um, Mr. Mark Wing and um, Ms. Vanson Vicente come out as team members for Living Heritage Research Council and help us do uh, this research, as well as help us uh, take the, the research and create a lesson plan and do some, some public outreach so that's kind of a, a quick overview of the project. And now we're going to talk about basically what everybody thinks of the project. So let's start with Mr. Knight, who's giving me quite the face. And uh, if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement in the project and maybe maybe your favorite part of, of the project. <laughs> Favorite part. It's, I just think that uh, the Browns Canyon National Monument, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's well within the, um, the the Ute area, traditional area. Before the roads really came in, uh, the trail that came from Colorado Springs on the south side of South Park, coming through. Uh, 
Hartsu always talk about Hartsu. That was a campsite where the youths were coming on over into um, into the Grand Canyon uh, National Monument. There's I'm pretty sure that the roads that come on the mountain going into Salida, then other part that comes out into Universa. Uh, those are trails that the uh, youths used. You know, a long time ago when they were going through there. And quite possibly where we went that there was a, a campground there on the east side and probably on the west side of the river where they crossed. Because uh, generally when uh, people, the people would go somewhere from one side to another migrating, if there was a river there, they would uh, generally camp close to the river and then go maybe stay uh, a few days, fish or whatever, and then they would go across and then continue on from there, either to go down into Pontius Pass. And from there, if you don't go all the way down, you could go up over that pass into Gunnison. What is mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that pass? Uh, Let me look it up. Monarch. Oh, Monarch? Monarch. Monarch Pass. through there. Or if you want to go further north, you could go up to uh, Leadville Uh and then go over on, uh, what's that pass called? Uh, Going into Aspen, is it? Independence Pass? Hmm? Independence Pass? Yeah. Uh And the other one of those passes... At the bottom of that pass, it comes into uh, Twin, Twin Lakes, that, that going over into uh, the drainage that goes to uh, Aspen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they would use those, those are some of the trails that they would use uh, instead of going back north to, uh, back to... Um, the Front Range? Huh? Instead of going back to the Front Range? Yeah. Uh, what's that pass north of Fair Play? Their ski area, what is it called? Oh, like on the way to Steamboat? Huh? On the way to Steamboat, you mean? Or wait? Yeah, no. No, 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 no. no. Um, north Fairplay. of uh, Fair Play. Anyway, mm-hmm. those were some of the passes that they used to go, go north. But coming in, coming west, coming toward uh, Univista and then going into Salida, uh, they, they would use that are currently now probably uh, highway, what's that, 24? And uh, mm-hmm. the gravel roads coming down into that one park on the east side of the Arkansas River where that good part of that Browns Canyon National Monument is. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they went through that all, you know, they used that to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Depending on the seasons, and so that's, I think that um, I don't know who who got control of that BLM or forestry or a lot of it is private land too, huh? Mm-hmm. So that's something that um, we need to get identified. And I don't know how much uh, traffic goes through there and whether they really know or want to know that the youths were there and they tried, they went, they went through there. So mm-hmm. I think we could uh, go back and see. Do a, I don't know if, if there has been a good archaeological survey in that whole area to to find the sites or we need to find some more, look at it some more mm-hmm. and see what's available. Because when you one of the ones that um, went camping, was mm-hmm. that you? Yep. You yep. and uh, Garrett? Garrett and Richie, our intern from Hopi, and Alia. Yeah, so we need to, uh, mm-hmm. I, I haven't been to that campsite and I heard mm-hmm. I think somebody, one of you told me that we had had to go hike 
to me, quite a ways. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to go hiking. And I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't go over there to, was camping in mine. Yeah. Well, I think we can now look at that again and see, see where it's at and mm -hmm. uh, possibly go, go to that side where you all camp. And it's, and it's interesting because you got, when we were coming out last time, there were two bull moose there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A young guy and an old guy, and then we had a lot of elk and a lot of bighorn sheep mm -hmm. and deer that, that are in that. So uh, depending on the season, that there would be a good place to camp anywhere in that area because you have a... Uh, the animals that the youth used to use for food. So, you know, they won't be there. Sounds like a, a good time. Yeah. So. so what's been your favorite part so far? Terry's like, none Ruby of it. Mountain. <laughs> Ruby Mountain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think we all know why, and we won't say why on, on there, but yeah, Ruby Mountain, if that makes sense. Mark, what about you? Your favorite part? Favorite part, there's probably visiting some of the backcountry sites mm -hmm. that we went on and seeing the environment and what nature has to offer out there that our ancestral people explored and experienced in time when they were in that area. So it was really neat to see that, that much of open land and open country that they enjoyed and they lived and they... Um, you know, it was self-sufficient type of land environment area for them. Yeah. They have water, they have, you know, berries, they had shelter, they had food, game to hunt. And um, it was just interesting to see some of those deep area countries out there to you know, explore it. And a lot of the sites that Mr. Knight took us to, you know, they were really interesting too. That was still there for, you know, historical, probably history for our, our, our new generation coming to be within the two tribes, the two youth tribes to explore our youth and um, to see what our people left behind or what they, how they lived and how they explored the area. And they utilized nature to their advantage, you know, to live in those areas. So, and I think there, there's probably, since our, our, our tour through that area, Browns Canyon National Park isn't done, I think we got to see more and um, having, you know, the individuals share their information up there too. It was really interesting to bring it together to make a sense, meaning out of a lot of that information we got. In the hot springs, I really liked that. You know, I never knew that there are many hot springs in that area existed and that people now, sadly, none of our youth tribes own or are open to that, you know, but you know, it's it's preserved by other nationalities to for us to utilize it. But you know, we got to experience that area too, hot springs and we went to a few of them and we've um, experienced feeling the water and getting into the water with other people, so it was good. And then just being up there in the surrounding areas too, the quietness, the nature and stuff. That was the fun part of it. Yeah. I, I thought you were gonna mention your river trip. And dry and going down, <laughs> yeah. The river trip was was great down Arkansas River. Mm -hmm. It was a great trip on rafting we did. In spite of the rain, a few times we got to the end. It rained oh. on us, but it was good. Enjoyed it. There was a lot of fun, exciting rapids in there. But you know, we went like wasn't like in the middle of the summer towards the fall. So the water level wasn't as high as what the river guide told us that it was. It was probably probably in early spring. It's probably like eight to ten feet than where we were at on the river. Some areas they had some water marks where the rivers were running early spring. Yeah. So he said it was getting pretty high up there. But when we went through there was some areas that were kinda of low and he had to push the boat, but <laughs> most of the bit was riding, so it was pretty neat yeah. to experience that. So I'm guessing, Zappa, your favorite part is still to come since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm waiting patiently to see all these attractions that happen at Rams Canyon. I do know that 
uh, Cassandra Tensio speaks highly of it, and she enjoys going to any hot springs. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I want to see. I guess I guess somebody can't say like a Zoom meeting is their favorite part so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're excited to have you and, and to, to go to the hot springs and and Casey, man, she's brave. She does the like hot cold plunge. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what about, I don't know, for, for any of the three of you, has there been like a, a learning moment for you that, that kind of stands out? The whole thing to me, I, I never knew about Bronze Canyon. I, I never knew what it was. Nobody ever talked about it. And uh, it, I, I, I wanted to go. It was interesting to see part of that. That part of Colorado that I have never seen, I've been through almost all of it. But that part, I never, I never went to it. I never heard about it. And uh, you know, of course, it's been uh, right, right in with the uh, the traditional uh, Roman area of the Ute people. You know, and I've heard, read something about where. Some of the people came down through Fair Play down uh, was that Highway 285 mm-hmm. and on uh, Highway 24 coming from from uh, uh, Colorado Springs and I've been through uh, on that highway and I I've never thought about you know the the youth people going through there but I heard about that. The site over there south of uh, Hartsell, but I never, I never knew anything about Browns Canyon. And I always wondered where, even coming down on 25 or, no, 285 or 24 coming into Univista, it, it never dawned on me. But then, then when, uh, you all said, we're going to go to Browns Canyon. Okay, Mark, what about you? Learning moments throughout this experience? Probably my learning moments would be um, pretty much um, seeing the place and understanding and hearing that that type of environment and nature is um, established there by our ancestral land, our ancestral people, which we have never known. And going back into history and time, I think a lot of our um, youth people, the reason why it's unknown to no one and just known to, I guess, individuals that knew these sites and knew the locations, but it was never written. It was never um, exposed to the public because of the confidentiality of these youth people that had that, that strong belief not to share their history and their culture and their tradition with anyone outside the tribe. So I think that's why a lot of that area is never mentioned before. And even to our new generations, they've never mentioned it no more because our elders told us, you know, don't go into these areas because they're their ancestral lands. And um, they talked about... Um, something may, you may bring something back to the people that's not good. So leave those areas alone. Don't wander around out there because you're going to see something or you might bring something back and that's going to hurt the people. It's really what they told us when we used to, you know, wander around through the mountains and do different things. They used to tell us that. So I think that's probably where it, where it came from. But somewhere, somehow, someone went up into that area and actually stumbled up on some of these sites and that's how they became reality and were brought out to knowing that these are the areas like um, a lot of the landowners, land buyers, they bought these lands. They probably never knew that them sites were there either until they went to start claiming their landmarks and their whatnot. They, they stumbled across it and said, hey, this, this item's here. Where did it come from? That's where archaeology came in and started looking at different artifacts, finding a lot of signs, a lot of different um, uh, landmarks, and that's how it became and said, you know, who was here before? There was land, there was life here before. So that's where the archaeology started writing it down and saying and researching and 
going back in time and, and discovering that some of the artifacts and some of the, the tools and stuff, they started dating them back into time of where they might, you know, think that it came back you know, so many thousands of years ago. So then it came back to the, not the what is it called, the native tribes that were in the area. So it came back to the Ute people. And then that's how they claim that it's Ute people, Ute land. But, you know, it, that's where it, I think that it came from because you know, they, they, a lot of Ute people never, Ute elders never told us nothing. And they only told us what they wanted us to learn and know. That's it. And anything else they knew, they never talked to about it. They never did it because when we asked, they would say, ah, you know, you don't need to know about it. Leave it alone or don't talk about it, you know. But, you know, it, it's something like that. And then we had to find out ourselves whether it was at that time, a young age or into the future, like now, you know, we're in um, our adult life and we're finding out that these areas are existed. But who knows, our ancestors or elders probably knew it existed, but they never told us about it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, our, our grandfathers, our grandmothers, our aunts have photos up in those areas, but they never shared nothing with us about what that is. Like, they didn't share it to generation, generation to our time now. You know, like um, any other history, like people that aren't um, native or more like Anglo people, they have history and time of where their families existed and came from. And it's all written and who their families and stuff are and what they did, how they lived, what they used, how their language was. But now in the youth people, it was never done that way. Now we're no, no, you know, we're finding out that this was their land. This was where they were at. You know, this is where they lived, and this is how they lived, and we're finding that out now. To what what's out there too, you know. And it was really interesting. That was my learning experience seeing it. I've traveled through that area. All I knew, my my grandparents tell me that all they told me was that road that goes through there was the Ute Trail. That's all they told me. Mm. But they didn't tell me that the Utes camped here, the Utes lived here, the Utes, they didn't say it, they just said it was a Ute trail. You know, that's all they said. So you know, when we go to Denver, they would say, which way are you going to go? And I would say, go through the Ute trail. They knew where we were going to go through, um, you know, fair play and up to there. That's all they knew. That's all we knew about. But, you know, after exploring the Browns Canyon National Park, they had a lot, lot to offer. Mm-hmm. A lot to offer, a lot to see, and a lot to experience out there to, you know, feel that the presence of the ancestral people out there too, and the quietness and then the environment. And you know, it was something new and interesting when I first explored that area and seen what I seen, mm-hmm. and what um, Terry Knight was talking about. You know, experiencing some of those sites. You know, and I heard him talk about it and. I was like, oh, I want to go see that, you know, and I experienced that. I got to see it and I got to walk that land with him and, you know, and, you know, experience that with him. And he shared a few things with us, with me when I was out there. And, you know, it was interesting. Something that I'll carry within myself into the future to understand it, you know, and what, what, how his thoughts and how his mindset was around that area and what we experienced together it was really was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Snuffer, what about for your work in general, like in this position and like going out on these types of projects, like what have been learning moments for you? I would just say knowing where the youths have traveled and how they didn't leave many things on the ground and how they survived. When they moved, it was for the seasons or during changes of time. And learning these things has also taught me to teach my children Mm -hmm. about where we are and where we've come from. And um, being in this job has brought a greater passion to understanding our ancestors and my language, which I am trying to learn. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. Yeah. But I think it's great because it brings the past into the present for many people. And in the past, we've tried to erase history. And so when we bring these, when we find new sites, it helps others understand Mm -hmm. the importance of not 
disrupting, vandalizing, or, you know, just basically respecting the area. And sometimes people don't understand that you aren't supposed to touch things and certain things you touch, someone's going to follow you back. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, like, it's been a great experience meeting Terry Knight, working with him on a couple projects, and just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love how I'm asking all of you what you've learned, but, like, obviously what I've learned is what I learned from all of you. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Just like getting to go out with you guys and learn and like be in these incredible places. It's it's just such a privilege, you know? Like get to to go to these places and sit with Mr. Knight and hear stories and it's an honor. And so what are you gonna do when I retire? Cry myself to sleep? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be sad, Terry. I'll I'll still be able to come out with you. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna hold you to it. We've got it on tape. (laughs) <laughs> I do know one thing. The youths oh. did like to walk. Yeah, they walk did. up mountains uh-huh. and through the valleys, and oh, yeah. those hikes are crazy. Yeah, the original <laughs> like Colorado hikers. You know, my God. Yeah, see youth stuff in all kinds of places. Although, like you said, the youths were the original. Leave no trace. So yeah. you also kind of don't see things anywhere. But and, and I still use that. I still use that um, that method for leave no trace behind mm-hmm. when we do our youth camp or any type of youth activity. So when we go to a site or even a room or anywhere we go with kids and we do projects or we do an activity, I always tell them that story of our youth people never leaving no site behind, nothing. Mm-hmm. Clean yourself, clean after yourself. Make sure you find, leave the place the way you left it. You know that way. You know leave no trace behind. I yeah. always use that with them and it's kind of like a historical type of teaching to them to get them to understand their youth people's tradition ways of life yeah. and we do, we do that all the time you know, we're cooking that way. Mm-hmm. So it works. They understand. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, annoy it, all the future archaeologists because <laughs> there's nothing on the ground. <laughs> yes. and, and I think... Um, Another thing, too, is bringing our youth to those areas would be really neat, too. The, the one site up there that landowner wanted to have us come up and visit her site yeah. for, for a couple of days with the youth from Ute Mountain. Yeah. And I still haven't got to get that opportunity to make plans. So hopefully maybe next summer we could be able to do that, yeah. just to be on her area, on her ranch area, mm-hmm. to do that. But, you know, we want to take care of the Browns Canyon. Um, service and um, project first before I think that's what I'm yeah. thinking we need to take yeah. care of it first before we even go back into that area yeah decide what yeah. yeah but it would be also good to bring other people into that area too I mean from the tribe not yeah. just us but you know other people let them know because um, I we did me and Terry had some younger adults mm-hmm. come to us and say I want to go and when we're taking kids and elders they're like where are they going? Where are you guys going? You know, and they want to go and they want to learn. So yeah. and a lot of them, like um, we all said, is they they rarely know that sites are out there like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they want to be interested in learning because I think that's going to be their gen, our generation too, new generation to know that. Right. What's up, dude? Right. Yeah, and then it was really unique too because the trails, the hikes, and I think that's. Probably what kept our youth people healthy. And um, I guess, like, say, like, it would be really interesting today's world of life. I mean, we got a lot of stuff available to us that wasn't available to our elders at that time and our ancestral people. And that's what made their life expand short. But if just thinking that if we had that same life of going down to the river, packing water back every day, yeah. going out and finding wood every day, and going out to hunt every day on foot, on horseback, we'd be always out. That would really cut down on our obesity of our people and our health, and actually eating natural natural foods from the earth 
and being natural, uh, organic, rather than buying processed food from stores. And I think that's what's really affecting our people now as Native people with all these illnesses they have that are coming up that we have to cope with and we have family members that are in that situation. But I think, you know, that's what it, it, it kind of like, I always think about that. I think if it was like that, this this time of the year, we would have a lot of our elders and our kids and our people live longer lives if we live if we have what we had here, but actually eating natural, organic foods and stuff, not yeah. processed food, because I think that processed food brings a lot of illnesses and a lot of different health issues and stuff to our people, yeah. and then just having the grocery store too to go get meat, milk, whatever you know we could. Back that time, you had to milk a cow or milk a goat or something. Yeah. And milk and dairy wasn't really our food, too. And that's why a lot of us are not really dairy food. Don't get along with us, too, as natives. Yeah. Because that, yeah, that wasn't part of our food source. But I yeah. think that would be good. I mean, just I thoughts that I've had when I was out there. Yeah, I mean, and you guys have such good, like, you know, like raspberries and currants and all kinds of, like, delicious foods up in the mountains. Nom, 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 nom. I remember the, when we did go that camping trip, we just literally spent the entire time, like, pulling berries off. <laughs> it was so good. But... Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. What would you recommend to other ethnographers, people who do work like me, or archaeologists, or like the BLM or the Forest Service about how they can do like these types of projects better. Like, so Terry, what advice would you give to all the Maricach that you work with about how they could do, you know, like ethnographic projects and working, you know, consultation work with you guys better? I think um, we could do the same, talk the same, but we have to use your, the same English language, but it has to be used in a different context. Okay. Because uh, American language, one word has about three different meanings. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's uh, all European or whatever. But we have to find out, see, who who are we going to talk to? Who are we going to make present this to? And see just how they are. What, what, what can they understand? what's being said, because he just said, like I did, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to get the wrong idea. These people had this, they had that, whatever. So like you said, just kind of hold it back. I think we want to make that presentation or whatever to where they can understand what we're saying. We can't can't be like a white man, white (laughs) white man teacher, just say, Say something and expect them to know what we're talking about. That's what we went through in school. The, the educators had their language, and we had to understand what they're saying, coming from grade one all the way up to 
you know, high school graduation and further on. But then you start to learn the difference of the the context of the material that you're talking about. So I think we'd have to I don't know how to talk white men anymore sometimes. Uh, we'd have to make it so that these people understand because we're, we're getting to a different area that place and other places where we want people to know what we're saying, why, who we are. They, they have to know who's what, when, and where. Kelly was asking me, we have a site here. What is it? We stopped there and looked at it. She said, there's this one here and another one over here. I looked at it. I said, did you bring people here? Yeah, we don't, we don't know what it is. And I'm walking around. Hmm. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, this is the campsite where the people that came when they had their their, their elk or deer or whatever, she brought them over here and this is for the process to and you can use the food right here or here. And she said, like anybody else, how did you know that? I said, the same sites down there by Colorado Springs on, on the Pinion Canyon, the same sites are down there where they process these animals, they said, right here, and they camp close to it. And it's not not right on the creek, it's a waste from the creek, so when they get the, the animals, you can bring them up here, process it, that's it. And that other side, it's the same thing, it's the same thing. They're identical, I said, this is why, where they did it. She said, oh, because we didn't know what it was. I said, I may be wrong, I said, but that, that to me, that's what it is. Because this, that, that down there, the same things are down there where the youth used to camp, I said, they have the same thing. But if you get these old trees off of there, clean it up, then it'll come out. You can see it. There's still some old dead trees laying on there. They clean it up, and then you'll see that, uh, that we, we can bring forth. And when we bring, especially our, our uh, younger adults or whatever, we have to show them that. And we need... Uh, the, the reports to follow that up and then we can get that and hopefully education can work with us and they can make copies of it and have it. I don't know if the little kids are going to read it, but they'll have it on record and we'll have it in my office. We'll have our miniature uh, um, library, our research library. We can have that, all that there too. So that's so we need to establish ourselves. The youths were both mountain people and plains people because from the mountains we went out to uh, Colorado Springs and uh, Port Collins went out to hunt buffalo and, and uh, antelope. So we went out there. So we're also plains people, plains tribes. But nobody really recognizes us for that. They say, we're mock-struck, but we're, we understand, somehow we understand, especially the Mawachi, the, the way that uh, the Plains Indians do their things, you know, that they understand that. What they used to, I don't know about now. So they said, you know, and it's basically the same thing, basically the same thing. So, so we can look at these sites and tell whoever's there, you know, these are, this is what it is and how it is and whatever. It's not just like, well, this, this is it, this is it. We're finding out more coming from the people we're talking to and the people that we heard talk about those things. Well, that was this and this is how it is, you know, talking about that. So initially we didn't say that. We just went over there and looked at it and said, wow. But now we think about, you know, talking about this all this rock art stuff, I was over there with Luke and his uh, person and talking about rock art and all the figures. And I said, 
we're talking about artists. I said, artists, they, they paint and do things with that. And I said, where did the artists that did the rock art, where did they get these figures from? Looked up and I said, I'm going to say something. I said, these people were in their, their contact with the spiritual things, the spiritual world. I said, look at this, this figure. It's not human. You'll find it here. And I said, and I said, I'm going to say this and I might live to regret it, but those people come from the stars. And these people seen them. Seen them or the spirits will come to them, they draw them. And so in their idea, their mind, they draw these figures of rock art. They're not from here. Why did they use that? And I said, I'm saying they were leaving a message that these people came from the stars. And somehow they understood that in order to come from the stars, they had to know how to get back and their starships, whatever, you know, were there. They had the technology to do that. And these artists, they understood that. So they drawn these figures, leaving a message for people to look at it that, that someday in the future, those things are going to come back. Those people, those figures that in the rock art, they're going to come back. It's a message they left for the future. I said, I said, I, may, I might be wrong, but I'm just thinking about it. The idea just come to my mind. Because where did they find this, you know, and these figures with this and that, whatever? Where, where did they come from? They'd have to see it to do in order to to draw it, whatever. And why are they doing that? What did they do that? Now, I would think that it would be a message that if they did converse somehow, maybe the guy from the stars, the star man, John Wayne, <laughs> he said, you know, I'm here and I'm going to come back a million years from now or whatever, a thousand years from now. And the guy understood him and said, okay, adios. Sayonara and put his picture on that rock. It's a message that these people came, they're here, and they're going to come back. Sometimes I said, I don't know. So Luke's sitting there saying, I can see his thing going. I said, but that's, that's just an idea I have. I said, because I, I think basic human now, uh, Personality, whatever, they accept that. That's why the regular normal people didn't, don't quite, are not in tune with the artists. Even today, the artists are not in tune with them. You know, but back then they were drawn as trying to set, say, tell a message that these people could come back because they have the technology to go back and forth. Oh, which reminds me. That maybe that's why more and more you see sightings, UFO sightings. Mm. So maybe, maybe they come down and say, maybe they got lost. Where was that sight at? Where was that? <laughs> you know, maybe that, maybe it's, maybe we're getting close to that time when it could come around. And, so maybe I'll be out there in a boonie somewhere. They may hand me some stuff. Here, put my picture on a rock. I said, okay. <laughs> so, but, there's something I said, could be a possibility, I said, could be a possibility. You know, it, or somebody might say, oh, I've totally lost it. Oops, I may have two, I said, but it, it's an idea that, you know, we need, we need to be open to these things, not just close-minded, you know. And uh, I said, oh, just a thought, I said, just a thought. Because we were looking at rock art in that that video he had, and, and that, that weird weird characters on that rock art. So where do you find that? And they didn't have a 
hallucinogenic drugs back then to draw that, you know. They did, but they didn't use it for that. So just something I thought I'd throw in there. Might think about it. But if you try to tell uh, Crystal and them guys, they're going to look at you and say, Yo, are you all right? What did, <laughs> what did you have for lunch over there? <laughs> what did you, and if you tell them, I said so, they're going to say, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and you believe him? You say, yeah. And I'll say, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> or they might say, hey, I think you're right. You know? mm-hmm. What else is there? What other proof or whatever? What else is there that says where they came from? Mm-hmm. You know? So just, just a thought. I don't know if you're in the town, but just hold on to it for a while and see what they think. But you, you know how they are. <laughs> so, you think so? Maybe so? I don't know. Maybe so. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So, Mark, what what advice would you have for, for people working on, on these projects and consultation with the tribes? I guess be more open to the tribes and be more um, upfront with the tribes and on eluding new areas. If they do find or sites, is contacting the historical preservation offices and officers in advance to prior to going in and doing any other types of research or discover any type of reporting of it. And then um, I guess it's, just documenting everything and then having the researchers and uh, individuals study in the area to be aware and have that, I guess, that um, approval of the youth tribes team on what they're doing and have the youth tribes approve those areas and information they're sharing outside the area or with the public before you know, sharing, getting um, information if it's okay from their youth tribes before they do anything like that. If they do find artifacts and stuff like that, it's just being upfront and returning it to the youth people, the youth tribes, before even putting it into any other areas like museums or any sites and stuff. You know, you know, just being upfront with them, asking them what their thoughts are first before they even, you know, move or do anything. Um, I believe what what I would tell them is the way the youths moved was through the seasons and many of the plants that we harvested may not be in those locations that they were before because they are over harvested or they're contaminated. And many of them don't have fruit certain times of year due to climate change. And if it was a drought season and that they need to understand the uh, vitality that the land holds for the youths and many people, not just the youths, um, the animals, water, everything. What we say to them is to be taken into confidentiality. It's not to be spoken outside of the group or, you know, to everyone else. It's what we felt safe telling the agencies while we were in consultations and that they need to be very sensitive with the knowledge that elders have and just how they walk on the land where the sites are. I would say the understanding that the way Native Americans see things, uh, view and perspectives, many the other societies don't. They only see a one-way path where we see many paths and don't just stick to one. We have to have an open mind because it's not the same. There are other things that we believe in. There are other areas that people wouldn't believe, I would say. 
All right. Well, we are basically at time. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how quickly it always goes. But was there any like last thoughts that anybody wanted to share? Like you have a burning urge to tell the public one thing <laughs> or you already said it all. Well, in order for people to migrate or go into a different area, I said for the youth sake, they just didn't go in there. They'd have to have at least a sky or they have to have an idea of where they're going. And they have to have this other idea or something in their mind that there was something good up there, somewhere up there to follow that. The instinct, follow, call it instincts, follow that. And of course, the animals already made trails or whatever to the, the water holes, the springs, just follow that. But they have to have something in, in their, their thinking, mentally, whatever, that tells them to keep going, go over there. And you can say, well, they're just instincts, it's just human nature. Yeah, but, you know, it, it had to have some sort of uh, structure, whatever, or something there that makes them. You may think about it, but something that makes them when you start into actually going. Got to have something, maybe a vision, a dream, or maybe there was one of the few people that looked in the sky and seen something. You know, not very many people look at, look at what's going on up there. We're too busy over here. What's here? We're supposed to, but Every once in a while, we have to look up and see something up there. So, so that that gives that individual an idea, something that tells them we here. This is good. This is bad. That part of our life, we have a tendency to ignore it. You know, that it's just my mind playing, my my head playing tricks on me. When all the time it may be something real, and we don't want to acknowledge it because I don't want to tell tell her because she might look at me and say she might get close to me. Would have been drinking? Would have been smoking? <laughs> no. And I say, here, try some of it. Then. Oh yeah. So, but see that that's a that's a kind of people that have the they can say. To them, it's real. And and I, some of my relations are kind of like that, too. You know, they talk about those things. But in the past, not so much now, in the past, these people would come to me and they say, oh, I'm going to tell you what i seen or the thought I had or this dream or whatever. And they would talk about weird things. But I would sit and listen to them like, huh, so I tell somebody else, oh, that guy who was talking or that woman was saying this, and they said, don't believe him, don't listen to him. That person's crazy. But the crazy ones have a tendency to come see me and talk to me, to me you know. So that, that's where I kind of, you know, remember what they were saying, what they seen, what they felt, that they couldn't tell anybody else. That's what it's. Confidentiality comes in, you know, they say, but they say, oh, man, you don't want to listen to that person. That they're crazy. But the crazy people like to come and talk to me. Maybe I'm crazy too, I don't know. But it seems like we have to to make a, make a room, make ourselves available to intellectually <laughs> to hear them and see. Because there's other places, other sites, other things that that will say that there's things out there up here. They're not the only ones. And you heard and seen. Maybe you felt it yourself or seen it yourself. You say, oh, maybe it's just a falling star or whatever. It's just the, uh, the atmosphere. Because the atmosphere changes too, whatever whatever energies in there, and whatever the, the sun with its, whatever we call that, 
that whatever that happens on the sun that sends the energy out to all the planets that they do things and and the moon has the same thing same effect so if we're not aware of that then we're like walking with blinders on but we only see here we may feel something but we don't want to see I don't know why I don't mind looking out seeing this what's it but she didn't say, oh, okay, all right. So I think sometimes we're talking about these sites, whatever. Who did, who did this? What was it? And how how did they use it? Then we get into an area that has not really been explored that much. You know, we have we have individuals that maybe my age or a little bit older that, that understand these things. But today... It's not on a computer then, then. But then you look at some of that stuff on the computer, especially the cartoons. <laughs> I like to watch cartoons sometimes, and I think whoever put these cartoons together, they have to have some kind of imagination. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one is uh, SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got that SpongeBob mm-hmm. picture on your wall. Yeah, so they, yeah, they have to have some imagination. To put this all together and then have, you know, and sell it. I'm thinking, I wonder who these people are. I wonder who to be like to talk to them. Maybe they're crazy too, I don't know. But it's really interesting how these things happen. So, so I would say for everyone to walk with a purpose, uh, watch what you touch, and not everything needs to be unburied. So, you know, stay on paths that you're supposed to and don't wander off. There's no reason for our ancestors to be dug up and, you know, mistreated. So it's all in respect. People wouldn't want us to go into cemeteries and do the same to their, their relatives. Well, I can't believe we got through this whole episode without ever mentioning the Secretary of the Interior's visit. <laughs> nobody, nobody mentioned that as their favorite Confidential. thing. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> I thought it was, I was going to mention it, but I wasn't sure if we were able to mention. Well, it. now we can. It was it was confidential, like until they like public, publicly announced it. But then once they announced it, then we we're okay. Mm. Um. <laughs> and that would be documented into what the recording is about too to mention that she was there visiting that we had to experience to hike with her in that area to be able to see what she her thoughts were mm-hmm. yeah so you can if you want to say something you can say something no, it was it was interesting to see Deb Holland there and uh, getting invited there and sharing our, our thoughts with her and our concerns for our people and that she was there to inspire our, our presence and as well as the different uh, colleagues from different agencies there to have her support our thoughts and our needs and our wants for our youth people. And hopefully that, you know, her visiting that area and hearing what she heard from the individuals that were there and representing the tribes um, that she would move forward with a lot of those accomplishments and, you know, have them, you know, for our future tribal members that are wanting to go in that area or want to do research on that area, that, you know, she has awareness of it. And I believe she was there of looking at some of the national park areas in the state of Colorado to do a little bit of um, preserving them or protecting them. So any thoughts and ideas she had, you know, would be recommended that, you know, going back to our ancestral areas to respect the, the people that live there and that were there and that are still there to respect that, that, that um, environment. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, always fun when we get to do one in person. Yeah, I appreciate everybody sharing all your thoughts today. Also, just wanted to add a quick Huge thank you to Woods Canyon Archaeological Consultants for letting us record this episode in their conference room and letting me use their conference room for all sorts of things and just being overall awesome and helpful. So thank you, Woods Canyon Archaeological Consultants.
Thanks for listening to the Heritage Voices podcast. You can find show notes at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash heritagevoices. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Music Store. Also, please share with your friends or write us a review. Sharing and reviewing helps more people find the show and gets the perspectives of Heritage Voices' amazing guests out there into the world. Don't we just need more of that in anthropology and land management? If you have any more questions, comments, or show suggestions, please reach out to me at jessica at livingheritageanthropology.org. If you'd like to volunteer to be on the show as a guest or even a co-host, reach out to me as well, jessica at livingheritageanthropology.org. You can also follow more of what I'm doing on Facebook at Living Heritage Anthropology and the nonprofit Living Heritage Research Council or on Twitter at Living Heritage A. As always, huge thank you to Lyle Belenqua and Jason Nez for their collaboration on our incredible logo. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.